You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Great to see you today. Are you ready for Christmas? Good. Your heart there? Your mind there? No? Some no's? Um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, actually around, around after Thanksgiving, around the first Sunday of Advent, we started to get ready for Christmas at our house. But we couldn't do everything because, because our son, oldest son Moses, wasn't home yet. And so a couple weeks ago, we got a tree. We brought the tree in the house. We put it in a tree stand because we normally have a real tree in our house uh, for... I think 26 years, 25 years, however long we've been married, we had a real tree in our house. Yeah, 25 years. It's 25 years. I just remember trying to remember how many years. Anyway, sorry. Had a real tree. My Christmas just went downhill, didn't it? It just dived. Uh, had a real tree. So we got a real tree, brought it in the house, put it in the tree stand, put water in it. And then we waited for Moses to come home because we we're going to get the ornaments out and we we're going to we're going to put all the ornaments and lights on the tree, and then we'd be ready for Christmas. We'd have that Christmas spirit. So Tuesday, I guess it was Tuesday night or Monday night. It was one of those nights. Um, we got the stuff out. It was this past week. We got the stuff out, and we went to the tree, and Moses started putting the lights on, but he had to get gloves out, and not just any kind of gloves, but the kind of gloves that you work with when you're in a garage and you're working with steel and metal or wood or you're really afraid of getting like um, slivers in your hands. He got that stuff out because this tree, though it was a live tree, was deader than a doornail. Though it had been put in water, every time we touched it, it was like poking you and bristling. And so he used gloves to put the, the lights on and then Anna got gloves out and she started hanging ornaments. The rest of us were like, this is like touching a porcupine. What are we doing? Finally, it came time to put the angel up on top, and Kyrie put the angel up. They were putting it, and Kyrie's face, she's the one, she's just gaping with like agony as she tries to put this angel on top of this tree. The next morning, I had gotten up early and I was reading, and then Anna got up and she came out, and she's like, did you see the living room? And I'm like, no. And I walk in. And all of the ornaments were on the floor. At some point, the thing had fallen over by the weight of the ornaments. It was lying, and everything was lying on the floor. I think one of the boys picked the tree back up, and <clears throat> she's like, what are we going to do? This is just like a disaster. I said, well, the thing's got to go. Because if it stays in the house, it's probably going to catch fire. I don't know what's going to happen. This is not the Christmas we were envisioning. Christmas, for all of us, can have a sense in the, in the places of our hearts where it's like certain things have to happen for us to really be ready for Christmas, to embrace it, to get that sense of we're in the Christmas spirit. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's having the decorations just right. Sometimes it's the food. Sometimes it's the smell. But we look for things. Well, the first Christmas... When Christ came into the world, there was a Christmas spirit. There was a spirit that was beginning to grow up and to spread in a number of hearts of people were, who were hearing that God was on the move. The spirit of Christmas that first time was this. It's when we know 
that God is on the move and he's bringing us the light of Christ to guide us into the pathway of peace. In the Gospel of Luke, we've been journeying with Luke as he tells the story of the promises, first of John the Baptist who's to be born and then a promise of, of Jesus. Today we pick up the story again. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn there and read, we're going to read this story of John the, the Baptist's birth because it speaks about that sense of that God is on the move. He's on the move close to us. And he's on the move to take us to the pathway of peace. John or Luke begins the story this way. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone re rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there's no one in all of your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. <clears throat> one of the... Uh, spirits that contributes to that idea that we know God is on the move is the spirit of confidence. And Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, has the spirit of confidence in this moment. The spirit of confidence that God is doing something new in her life and through her. The birth of John the Baptist, if you go back and you look at that text really carefully, is a normal birth. Everything about it is normal. People were surprised that because maybe in Elizabeth's old age, she gave birth and she survived and the baby survived, but everything else about it is normal. And yet people begin to celebrate. And they begin to celebrate like any of us would at the birth of a new baby. And we gather around. I, I saw, I've been seeing pictures this week of friends on Facebook, and they've either themselves or their, their kids have had babies. And so they go and they hold the baby. And stuff is just normal. It's a normal birth. And some of the other things that are normal begin to play themselves out. The fact that people stay too long. Um, eight days later, we read that there are still relatives and, and the neighbors are still around Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth has to be like any new mom. She has to start to draw boundaries and say, okay, it's time for people to move on. Thanks for your presence. Thanks for coming. And thanks for your celebration. But, but it's time to move on. There does come a point where it's time to name the baby. Normal stuff with babies, right? you got to come to a point where you name the baby. And on the eighth day, because of the tradition in Judaism, it was time to name the baby at the circumcision of the baby. And so Zacharias couldn't speak, and maybe he couldn't hear. And so it falls to Elizabeth to name this baby, and she says his name is going to be John. And John <clears throat> is, a, is a significant name because it... It reminds them that the Lord's mercy has been with us. She's naming her son with a purpose to be a reminder that the Lord's mercy is with us. And people in that room, people, her neighbors, her relatives, look at Elizabeth and they say, wait a minute, you're going to name him John? There's nobody in your family by the name of John. Don't you want to name him something else? They argue with her. They tried to persuade her. They tried to convince her that there is another name that she should call her son. And she says, no, his name is John. As I was reading this text, uh, 
we had dinner with a three-year-old boy. And this three-year-old boy, um, he's at a place in his life where he, he's beginning to memorize scripture. So he, he told me some scripture he was memorizing. And I said, that's, that's awesome. I said, one of the pieces I've been reading about scripture is Elizabeth's comment here where she just kind of puts her foot down and she says, no, his name is John. And that three-year-old little boy found that so hilarious for about the next five minutes. He kept wanting me to say this text. No, his name is John. But Elizabeth has confidence. She's got confidence that God has been at work in her life and there is a name that she needs to give her son. And she, she doesn't need to be persuaded by anything else. Thinking about Elizabeth, sometimes I, I think about how there are moments in our lives when God begins to do a new thing with us in our own hearts. God shows up and he begins to whisper something in our ear. He begins to call us to do something. Or there's the nudge of the spirit that comes alongside of us. And we hear it and we know it. And yet there are moments where there are friends and there are relatives and people all around us who look at us and they go, what are you up to? What are you doing? Why are you heading in that direction? And there has to be something about us that says, you know what, I know that I know that God has called me to do something. God is at work within me and I have to follow it. Because of Elizabeth's sense of, no, his name is John, because of her confidence in God, she's, she's walking in obedience. And in obedience, she's got joy and peace and love and and trust that God is doing something good and something new. Well, after this picture of Elizabeth saying no, they turn to John, or to Zacharias, John's father, and he's, he writes it down on a tablet. His name is John. And then Luke picks the story up here and he says, instantly, after Zacharias wrote his name down. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again and began praising God. Awe filled, or awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of, of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and they asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. There's a spirit of awe and wonder that comes. At Christmas time, Zacharias, for about nine months, hasn't been able to speak. In some, some circles, it's suggested that Zacharias hasn't even been able to hear either. Both of his, uh, his abilities to hear and speak have been taken away. And here, after he writes down on the tablet that his name is John, both of those faculties come rushing back. And suddenly he's able to do those things. The people that are gathered around, Luke says, they look on with awe and wonder. It's almost like they've begun to try to understand how to put all of, this, all of the pieces of the puzzle together. They've tried to understand what in the world is going on here. And yet they can't. And they can't rightfully. Because what is happening here is not something that they themselves could have orchestrated. But what's happening here is a move of God, a move from God into their world that they can't, they can't choose, they can't make happen. They simply have to step back and behold and live in a sense of awe and wonder. 
This past week, <clears throat> I went to the post office. Anybody go to the post office this week? That was a fun experience, wasn't it? It, <clears throat> it wasn't. I, I had one question. I didn't even want to buy stamps or anything. I just went in to buy, ask a question, and I stood in line for about 30 minutes. It was, what a, what a time. But the, in front of me was a lady, an, an elderly lady, who had her hands full of packages, and then she was trying to buy some of those boxes that you can buy at the post office. You know, the box that you buy and you stuff everything in and then you can mail it a one rate, a flat rate box. Her packages were just a bit too large. And her sense of dexterity, well, it was challenged because she had all of these things in her hands. And so I just kind of stepped up and I said, can I help you out here? She's like, yeah, I'm trying to do all this stuff, so... I said, all right, let's see what, if I can help you at all. So we worked the first package in and other stuff in, and we packaged it up, and she said, miracle of miracles. And I'm like, really? Okay. And then we got the other package done in, miracle of miracles. And for the next 20 minutes, she just kind of mumbled underneath her breath, miracle of miracles as we're going along. And I'm like thinking to myself, a small act of kindness it's people talking about miracles. Maybe one of the gifts that we can give to the world we live in is a number of small acts of kindness. But you know what? I think, I think one of the things we long for, one of the things we need, one of the things our world needs is something that's greater than small acts of kindness. We need God to break in, don't we? One of the things we're praying for here at Schweitzer is for an awakening a movement of God that is far bigger than even the smallest acts or the biggest acts of kindness. We need God to break in. So when we step back and we look at what's happening, maybe it's something that happens within our own hearts where God begins to melt our own hearts of selfishness or self-righteousness or self-aggrandizement. Maybe it's when God begins to melt us so we have spirits that that drip with love and compassion and sisterhood and brotherhood for one another, maybe when God begins to do something that we can't do ourselves, maybe then, with full-throated full -throated praise, we can say, miracle of miracles, God is at work. Don't we long for that? Don't we need that? That's what's happening in the story as we lead up to Christmas. God is at work and he's moving, and there are profound miracles. Well, in that space of a big miracle, Zechariah lifts up his voice. <clears throat> and this is what Luke writes. He said, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave a prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. The song of Zechariah, and, and it's going to go on. It's almost, it's almost like a song that's written in two parts. But the first part of Zechariah's song is a song that, that displays a spirit of praise. Because Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. God just is 
really at work and moving in his own life. It's the spirit that's able to give him his speech back and his hearing back. It's the spirit that, that pours into him to give him a song. He just can't help but release all that God is up to in a song of praise. And nine months of silence, nine months of not being able to talk, nine months of, of simply having to watch and take in has given Zacharias a whole lot of things to ponder and think about and reflect upon. He's been able to, to think about all the stories he's heard about how God has moved with God's people in the past. Even in this song text, he brings up how God was faithful to Abraham, how God moved in David's life, how God's work of salvation is something that has always come near to people. And he sings about it. He gives voice to it. When we sing the songs of Christmas, we're singing about something that's happened in the past. We're singing about how God has moved. We're singing about things that God has, has done. And we're not just singing about things in the past, but we're doing it to remind ourselves that God is at work now in the present. Some of us, God's really been at work and we need to lift up our songs. We need to sing out and sing boldly. And some of us, we find ourselves at a moment in time where it's just hard to sing. Maybe it's the elements of life that have been weighing us down. Maybe it's the burdens that we've been carrying. Maybe there's deep grief. A year ago at, at Christmas time, I found it was incredibly hard to sing with my own voice because grief was so strong. And yet one of the things that I found immensely helpful was to be in the presence of other people who were singing and who were rejoicing, who could lift up the song that God was near to them and that he was working in their life. If you're at a place in life where you just find it hard to sing, let me encourage you. Turn the radio on. Put a speaker on your back deck, as Pastor Bob noted already. Let the songs fill the air. And look for the time. Look for the time where God moves. Look in your own history, in your own story. Where is it that God has moved in the past? And go back there and recall it. And begin to look for God to do something new in your life right now. So Zechariah's song is one that looks back, and then it begins to look forward. And it brings forward a spirit of, of hope and salvation. Zechariah will say to his son, who is right in front of him, And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. And the morning light from heaven will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death will guide us to the path of peace. Zechariah has the spirit of salvation and hope that is upon him. He looks at his son, infant John, and he knows that God has been at work and God is at work. 
And there is a work that is yet to do because the work isn't final. The work isn't complete. The work is, has got to be ongoing. And yet he knows that this son that has been a gift from God is going to be somebody who's going to prepare the way of the Savior. Much like we prepare our homes, like we prepare this place, like we prepare for Christmas in some way, this son will be one who will prepare the road for the one who is the Savior of the world. The one who comes as wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty Savior. The one who in this instance, Zacharias thinks about what the prophet Malachi said when he said, there is a light in God's mercy that is dawning upon us. And the light is the light of Christ. So Zacharias, he sang a song of praise. He sang a song of hope and salvation. Anticipating that God was active now and God is going to be active in the future. We need to sing songs like that. We need to pray prayers like that. Because there are moments, present moments, where we need to know that Jesus is drawing close to us. And Jesus is our hope and salvation. The ancient church had a prayer that they prayed, and it's a prayer that is just a short, simple prayer. It goes something like this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the midst of where we're at right now, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because we need to have you beside us. We need to have you working in us. We need to have you present in our world. And we need to have you leading us onto the pathway of peace. So as we're getting ready, we're almost there. Christmas is just around the corner. Will you pray with me? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Kind Father, on this day in this place, the anticipation is great. The trees have been trimmed. The candles have been lit. The cookies have been baked. Many a gift has been bought and given already. And yet, as we look at the place where we're at in our world, we know that unless you come, unless you come, we don't walk on the way of peace. We don't walk in the way of hope and gladness and joy and love unless you come and bring us the gift of yourself. We're just not at the right spot. So come, Lord Jesus. Come in the midst of this place right now. Come in the midst of our homes. Come in the midst of our families and our stories. Come in the midst of our businesses and the daily activities of our life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And give us spirit of confidence in you. In your name we pray. Amen.